from the creators who brought you RuPaul's Drag Race and Million Dollar Listing. This is World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of the Wow Report where we count down the top 10 things of the week that make us go wow. Wow. I'm co-founder of World of Wonder, Fenton Bailey, joined by my amazing cohorts, far more articulate, funny and brilliant than moi, our Chief Creative Officer, Tom Campbell. Hello, hello, hello. And of course, the lovely and amazing James St. James, editor of The Wow Report. That's me. (laughs) Okay, it's the first show of fall, Blake tells me, falling into the sear and yellow leaf. Let's kick it off at number 10. Number 10. Uh, It's John Waters' world, and we just live in it right now. I had the great privilege of being Randy Barbato's plus one at the Academy Museum in Los Angeles, right at Fairfax and Wilshire, for the opening night of John Waters' Pope of Trash, a retrospective that will be there for several months. Um, It's on the fourth floor. It is outstanding. I cannot urge you to gush go. on about it enough. I, exactly. I'm gushing. I'm gushing. Someone, someone give me a thing. Um, Who is John Waters? I have to say, and but he reminds me of Randy Fentner, even of James. Someone who is so singular in his, no, but in, in his queerness, in his voice, in his obsessions, that he has never really changed. He's never really veered, you know, right of left but the mainstream has caught up to him and his craft has continued. He's a filmmaker. He's a director. He's done all kinds of cult films that have become mainstream films that became Hairspray, one of the biggest musicals of all time, movies and Broadway shows. And it's a retrospective. I've been to the Academy Museum. I've talked about it before. And I always find it a teeny bit hard to pull off because it's about stuff. Oftentimes museums and films about film. Well, they solved this. Well, first of all, I, there's two things. There's the exhibit itself, and there's also the party. So I'll, I'll talk about the exhibit itself, because I went again on Sunday. I went back. I went to the opening on Thursday, and I went back again on Sunday, because I wanted to really soak it all in. And there is a film montage of all of his movies that some brilliant person, who I should find out in credit, it's like five to ten minutes long, that, that assaults you. <laughs> the first moment you walk in, you sit and you watch, and it's just all of his characters talking to each other, you know, just clips, 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 clips. And, and you get themes of, of food and themes, you know, and, and divine doing speech. It's just brilliant. And if you see nothing else, you're just like, oh, I have totally been reminded of all of the genius that is John Waters. But then you go from room to room. He started in the early, in like 64 was his first film. 60, you know, and he Mondo- was that Mondo trash out or eat your makeup or one of those. Yeah. Yes. Things like that. And he was obsessed with the, with the sound of music. There's another little brilliant thing and I'm going to skip along as I do, but there's, there's like a, a trash trailer or something like a, a, up in the middle of the, you know, it's just a, like a trailer park. You go in, you sit down and John introduces it and he introduces you to the first ever movie trailer by new line cinema that distributed female trouble. And he goes, note how they don't use one piece of film from the movie. It's all <laughs> reactions of people coming out in the lobby. And it, with, with soundtrack of the movie, like, you're filthy. I'm the filthiest person in the world. And then they have little ladies who goes, well, I came, you know, like a fur coat. Well, I, and it's all real. I came because a friend told me about it. And I thought it was delightful. You know, or people are going, it's the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. And then they have like quotes from like, you know, the New York Times, like, if you thought porn was bad, you know, it's, it's brilliant. And it goes on for like two minutes which I think everything we promote on WOW Presents Plus now should be um, should be done that way. We shouldn't see any of it. We should just hear it and have people going, oh, my God. And then, even though I do complain sometimes about costumes, you turn a corner and brilliantly displayed in three separate areas in one giant room are all the costumes from the original John Waters version of Hairspray. Uh-uh. You know, the Tracy Turnblad. Cockroach dress. And you just realize what a low budget movie that was. And, and, and the brilliance of those costumes, because you walk in, you know, exactly where it's like being in Disneyland, but it's from John Waters and from Baltimore where he makes all of his films. Okay. 
And the last thing I'll say, so we, we went the Thursday, we went to the roof. Jody Foster's there. It's every I queer person. Say, it is every, from what I've seen on social media, it is every person in Hollywood ever was there and their brother and sister. Except for you two. Every queer person in Hollywood except for you two. And John spoke and he's so freaking brilliant. It was on the top of the outside, on the top of the academy, which is the Barbara Streisand Bridge, you know, with the, with the dome. <laughs> and, um, and, and you're in the Death Stars. It looks like the Death Stars. Yes. And the one person who came walking down the runway, ran, I got there a little early, who looked like a two million bucks, a collaborator of Mr. Waters. Pia's a door. Pia's a oh, door. Oh, Pia's a door? Stop it! Oh, oh my God. God! James St. James was my plus one. And he's like, no, I can't go. I got something else to go do. And then I was like, oh. oh. Pia's yeah. a door. That would be like seeing Sophia Loren or Elizabeth Taylor. That exactly. Thank you. Yeah. And the, the House of Avalon guys were there, Simone and her posse. And we're like, over there, she was wearing, you know, she's a very tiny lady. She looks exquisite. Her hair is blonde and tousled. I hate to say her age, but it's it's nine years older than me. And she's um, wearing uh, like very conservative cream pumps, but they have like platforms that big and stiletto heels that big and sort of a mini skirt and jacket. She's looking a million bucks. At one point, Randy was moving in on Jodie Foster. I'm like, we have to choose. And we left and we went and talked to Pia Zadora, who uh, was delightful and we said we have to have you on drag race and and um and it was a magical night i can't i'm, I'm you know you hear me that sounds amazing i mean pizzador is looks a million bucks but she's worth millions of bu- billions of bucks right she's super duper well she married that guy whose name i can't recall it's like manaheim was... steamroller is methuselah or something like that is he was 53 she was Yes, he was 53, she was 23. Of course, I've, I've researched her thoroughly now. I knew who she was. And by the way, he, they were only 30 years apart, not a mortal sin. He was kind of hot. He was a multi-billionaire who knocked her off her feet. He was a billionaire in 1970s, you know? And he made her the Dubonnet girl because he owned the liquor company, the Dubonnet. So she was on commercials. That, that's how you got famous. It's like, you know, Pia Zadora for Dubonnet. Unfortunately, my problem with Pia and her husband is that they bought Pickfair, the legendary house of Mary Pickford and and um, Douglas Fairbanks Jr., and they tore it down. And I will never get <laughs> over that as long as I live. You have one of the legendary homes of yeah. Hollywood, and they tore it down for McMansion. She had a joke for us. We didn't bring that up, but she said something, and I was it was loud. So, but she said that she was either married to a man named Rick or Danny, a man named Rick. And they thought that they should name their house Prick Fair, Pia and Rick. <laughs> That's funny. So, <sighs> so you know, I, the thing about Pia, I have to say, is like she's been the butt of jokes for most of her career. And yet she's worked with Sinatra. She's worked with the best producers. You know, she had. She, when you start, her, her first film was Santa Claus Meets the Martians. Or, yeah, yes. I think like that was a child actress. But then she went on to have those really wonderful albums of American standards. Yes, right. Thank she, you. Quite the singer. She really is very talented and a lovely, lovely lady. I I, I just brought that up about Pig Fair. But I'm I, sensing I, a uh, piece no. of renaissance. Yeah, There's no, no, something no, but about I, I do, the fact have, that she's, she's faced all like she has before social media she was the butt of jokes mm. you know what i'm saying she for, for, whether she deserved it or didn't i don't think anyone deserved it as much as people go in she was the butt of jokes but she um she uh i was, uh, was saying well we're gonna have to cut all of this out anyway i mean we've gone on way too long about pia so <gasps> we have, well, we have. Right. you've gone out you've gassed on for nine minutes now John I'm not going to get a chance to walk. John Waters' Pub of Trash is at the Academy Museum until next August. You have no excuse not to go to L.A. and see it. Number nine, James. Number nine. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Last night, Fenton and I went to go see a screening of the upcoming sure-to-be camp classic cult movie sensation, Saltburn, Emerald Fennell's. Um, new movie that is just going to take the LGBTQ world by storm. It is outrageous. It's a creepy, crazy, super nutty, sexy, sexy, sexy thriller. <laughs> it's um, described as a, a cross between Brideshead Revisited 
and talented Mr. Ripley, okay? It stars Jacob Elordi, who is so hot, so handsome, um, and Barry Keogh, who was so fabulous in Banshees of Inner Sheeran and should have won the Oscar last year. Um, Barry plays a poor student going to Oxford who falls into a group of snotty, entitled, rich, bratty, you know, students led by Jacob Elordi, who is the object of everybody's lust. And Jacob takes Barry under his wing. And as the semester ends, he says, why don't you come stay with my family at Saltburn, their magnificent manor house that is somewhere between Buckingham Palace and, you know, Downton Abbey. It is just magnificent. So he goes to stay with the family and the family is just as kooky and as eccentric as you can imagine. And what happens is Barry becomes progressively more obsessed with the family and mostly Jacob. And it turns into this series of increasingly bizarre and disturbing sexual, not even sexual, just erotic situations that keep building and building and getting creepier and creepier and creepier. And I'm just going to tell you one, this is my, this is my, um, (laughs) my one spoiler right here. There's a scene where Jacob is masturbating in the bathtub and he is just really getting into it and moaning and groaning and suds are flying everywhere. And Barry is watching secretly from the door and getting increasingly more and more turned on watching this. And after uh, uh, Jacob finishes his job and screams and shouts and and comes, uh, he leaves the bathroom and goes to his bedroom and Barry creeps into the bathroom and starts licking the bath water and sucking it up. Because it's still draining out. The it's still draining and it's draining. full of spunk. And he's just, he's drinking the bath water. And as it goes, as it starts circling the drain, he's licking the drain. And it goes on and on and, and, on. and on and on. And the audience is in a state of slack-jawed horror but they're also a little turned on because it's so you've never seen it. When I tell you this is the 10 minute scene of licking the bathtub, it is just so bizarre. And then from there, each sexual scene gets crazier and crazier. There is gay sex. There is pansexual sex. There is queer sex. There is straight sex. There is bisexual sex. You get full frontal from, from Barry. You get, I mean, it's just, and the shots of Jacob, he is, he is, a star is born with Jacob Elordi. He is just the object of, of so much lust. And Barry Keogh is, I mean, I, I don't know funny. that it's Oscar bound <laughs> because it's so far outside of the Academy, you know, like, like the norm. And, and it, but it's such a bizarre, it will be one of his signature roles forever and ever and ever. I just want to add in that if you think the bathwater scene is extreme, there's other scenes even more extreme in it. <laughs> yes. They but, keep there's there's one scene that reminded me so much of Rocky Horror Picture Show when Frankenfurter <laughs> keeps surprising everybody in bed and it's like Rocky Frank it's like it's that sort of thing where it just I mean it's just do people ever laugh does it ever get that campy oh, yes oh, it, yes yes and, and it's um, funny but it is horrific and it is just it is jaw dropping in its audacity of where the plot goes. And Richard E. Grant and Rosamund Pike pay, play the parents at this country seat mm. in a strain of passive aggression that is so cold-blooded. It is, it is appalling, and you gasp with horror, but you can't stop laughing. James yeah, and I were just tackling. Yeah, Rosamund Pike definitely could be Oscar-bound for Best Supporting Actress. She is absolutely amazing, and, and Richard Grant is just amazing. So that's Saltburn. Uh, gosh, we have to wait till Thanksgiving? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it comes out in November, but it mm. is worth the wait. I'm going to see it again. I will definitely yes. take everybody. Yeah. yeah. I am at a fork in the road here as we go on to number eight because I want to talk about John Waters and I want to talk about Saltburn. I don't know which to choose. Um, John Waters. Okay. Number eight. Number eight. John Waters, I guess a few days after the Pope of Trash exhibition at the academy got his star on hollywood boulevard and um in this instance i was randy barbados plus one to go to the uh, ceremony um which is 
pretty much right outside the office. Here I, was on- say, I didn't go, but I sat at my desk and heard the entire thing. That's how close it was. It was was in front of Larry Edmonds uh, Hollywood bookstore right there, which is like a stone's throw from World of Wonder. But from the pictures I saw from the World of Wonder roof, it was a mob scene. I've never seen Hollywood Boulevard that great. It looked like an old Gene Harlow opening or something. It really was. It was a day of the locust type event. It was incredibly crowded. It was fantastic. And of course, John was so gracious and funny. He said, uh, here I am closer to the gutter than ever. (laughs) Uh, And very sweetly, he dedicated his star to, and he had a picture of his mom and dad, Pat and John Waters, which was just beautiful. He said he hopes that the the most desperate showbiz rejects walk over me and feel some sort of respect (laughs) and strength. So it was was really kind of lovely. Um, I thought it was very John Waters-esque that just before the ceremony, a, a tour bus, Hollywood tour bus, on the other block, literally the block, the next block over, spontaneously combusted and huge oh, blooms of black smoke. Yes, and then the building caught fire. And so it was a sort of, it was like not without its sort of real Waters-esque moments. Yes, one block John Waters getting a star, a block over like a major helicopter three alarm fire. Yes, conflagration. And, and once and, uh, again, I saw a million pictures of Ricky Lake looking absolutely drop-dead yes. gorgeous. Cockroaches up her thing. I thought, oh, was that Mink Stoll? Hang on. Oh, no, Ricky Lake had the amazing dress with the cockroaches on. Yes. And Mink and Stoll. Mink Stoll, God bless her, still, still around. Still, you see her in, in Hollywood a lot. Yes. And uh, photographer Greg Gorman. So, oh, I love Greg, yes. So congratulations to John Waters. I mean, really, like... As Tom said, like, he's never changed. And it's like, I was thinking about John Waters, Barbie, and Taylor Swift. All these sort of legacy brands that are suddenly enjoying, like, peak success and and respectability, you know? I do think it's interesting, you know, like what Tom was saying, where how it seems like, you know, he was so counterculture and he was so far to the left and so, you know, outrageously bizarre. And it seems like, culture pop culture has caught up to him and it's taken 45 50 years but he is now the the what mainstream gays you know sort of look to and and uh he is yes he is uh, well you know i'm carbon dating myself here but my brother who's always been an inspiration and all of me took me to the scarlet in london before i ever went to america and he said we're going to go to an all-night screening of john waters films now, this is in the early 80s, and you could actually have so many films, it would be all night. Wow. And I remember passing out <laughs> about 2 a.m. because I just couldn't. And I woke up to this winking asshole. I can't remember which film it was, but they were doing that asshole winking game. And I was like, oh, my God. Holy <laughs> and people yeah. know this, but the, on the rare and the two incredible occasions I got to sort of meet him and talk with him. He's a gentleman. He is erudite. Yeah. He is kind. He is all these things. And he has this filthy sensibility and this sort of this, this lack of shame about mm. crazy, 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 crazy people. He loves. Well, I know that b- before I ever got to see a John Waters film, I had a book of cult movies that would talk about Mondo Trasho and eat your makeup and, you know, pink flamingos and all those. And um, so I, I was very much aware of him as a teenager, but I, it was like one of those things I couldn't wait to get to New York to see the movies. And then he came out with a book called bad taste. I don't know if you remember this, yeah. in like 1981. And that was like my ur text. That was, I carried that with me everywhere all through high school. That was just something that meant so much to me. It was, he's just something who really helped shape who I am, you know, he's just one of those magnificent. Yes, he was a beacon at a dark time, really. Yeah, for, yeah. For like us. So congratulations, John Waters, and, and many more years to come. I, he, a very spry at 77, you know, knelt down and got up unassisted, you know. Yeah. I don't think I can do that. No. <laughs> right. I know. All right, let's move on. Blake, have you got a question for us? Blake, can I interrupt? Can I can I can I steal your question? Your please question? do, please do. I'm just gonna because because I was I don't know if people were listening earlier, but I was interrupted about Pizzadora. Um, well, I was only gonna say that Pizzadora has been the butt of so many jokes, and yet she's still here and she's still beautiful. And to that, just her very existence gives me hope, and I feel is is a, is a is a is a, a, a projection of grace. So I will say with love, 
who the Golden Raspberry recognized are the awards that came out at the same time as the Oscars, and they recognized the worst in film. Who did Piazzadora lose Worst Actress of the Century to in 1999? Who did Piazzadora lose to which actress is the worst actress of the century? Oh, that's good. That is really good. We'll have the answer for you right after the break here on The Wow Report on Radio Andy. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. All right, welcome back to The Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with James and Tom and Blake. We're counting down the top 10 things of the week that made us go wow. But before we carry on the countdown, Tom, you had a question for us. I did. Saw Piazzadora at the John Waters opening. Love her, spoke to her, truly think she's a goddess. James said she's a sing Sophia Loren. She's such a rare sighting. But I got into a, a, a Wikipedia hole and the Golden Raspberries... Uh, celebrate the worst in film accomplishment. Which actress did Pizadora lose to? She was nominated, but she lost to this actress for worst actress of the century in 1999. Jay, if you don't, if you know, hold on. Like I don't else? know. I'm guessing. Oh, oh, okay. I want to guess Madonna. Okay. Oh, that's a good one. I, I want to guess um, who played Nomi in Showgirls. Oh, Elizabeth. Oh, that's another good one. I was going to say Tanya Roberts. Oh. oh. God rest. Um, the correct answer, unfortunately, none of you. Oh, it was Madonna. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but once not, again, Piazzadora always compared to the best in the business. Piazzadora, Madonna, side by side. <laughs> Let's carry on with the countdown. Tom, number seven. Number seven. Well, you know, we talk a lot about fashion on our, our show. And I know James usually takes the fashion stories. But I thought, you know, it's time for me to reinvent myself. So I want to talk about the... U.S. Senate has relaxed its dress code. Can now, you wear a tan suit now? Question mark. <laughs> no, you, not that far. Show but, you your know, Pennsylvania Senator John Fetterman, that wonderful man who's been through so much, who, you know, it, he wears shorts and a hoodie, period. You know people like that. And so he does his, he sort of like tiptoes in, he votes from the door. And so they, they did a whole thing. And Chuck Schumer, they erased the dress code for men. And the Republicans, of course, are having a field day. George Santos, he said uh, that he's so messy. And then the wonderful uh, Senator Fetterman said, I dress like you campaign. Oh, sloppy. Now, but the thing is here, because... It's a bit of a double standard because you have Lauren Bobars dressing like a hoochie mama. You have yeah. um, you have uh, Kristen Cinema in her pink wig and you know alien Star Trek outfits. I mean, you have all these people who on the on the other side who who are not who are not fashion plates themselves. And on the one hand, I understand that you, there should be decorum, and I believe that there should be sort of a a standard and and you dress for the job that you have or the job that, you know, and if you start dumbing down things like that, if you start dressing sloppy, then it's a slippery slope and who knows where you'll end up. But on the other hand, if you do your job and you do it well, then who gives a fuck what you wear? It's a sign of the times in a weird way, right? We're all coming off of COVID. We all, everyone except for, for Fenton, who still has his striped shirt thing going and I support it. (laughs) Um, I haven't changed either uh, before or after. But, you know, people dress more casually. Women mm-hmm. have always, in general, been able to express themselves. Part of the ma- male, th- th- I heard a thing in NPR about how, like, the older gentlemen, like our President Biden, tends, they know how to wear a suit. You know, it's tailored. It looks good. A lot of the younger people in Congress don't know how, so they just kind of have big old bouncy suits on. But it'll be interesting to see. You know, you remember when all the uh, women wore white to one of the State of the Unions, all of the representatives? Like, will they be, will their, will the red and blue turn red and blue? I don't know. Like, well, what, what's going to I think one thing that you do see happening on the right with the Republicans is the Trumpification of the way men dress. You know, how Trump is always in those men's warehouse cheap suits yes. that are, don't, they are ill fitting. They're too big for him. He has that long red tie that extends below his knees. 
Like, yes. you know, uh, it's just, it's so disgusting and so cheap looking, <laughs> but you start to see every other Republican wearing long red ties in boxy, yes. ill-fitting suits. So it's like, they're all starting to wear orange makeup and whooshing their hair. It's like, <laughs> it's this weird sort of cult where everybody wants to look like Trump and it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. <laughs> Senator Susan Collins from Maine, who always disappoints us at crucial votes, that she might just wear a bikini. I would love. I would love that. I think that would be hysterical. Anyway, they have more important things. To, this is what they vote and pass when they have so many other important things to do. It's but true. yeah, just, they they, shut, they they vote. They don't vote to shut or to keep the government running. They vote to shut it down. But this is the important thing. Yeah. But maybe now filibusters will have a theme. Like category is. You know, <laughs> Floral Eleganza. <laughs> All right. Uh, you can read more at worldofwonder.net slash Radio Andy. Number six, James. Number six. Well, I watched over the weekend a movie called Theater Camp. I don't know if you heard about it. It sort of came and went in the theaters. Uh, I want to see it. Should I? Well, it's a mockumentary in the style of like Christopher Guest. It has this sort of like reoccurring group of people that you're starting to see in the same movies over and over again. That Io uh, Edebiri, so good in Bottoms. Yes. She's in it. She's absolutely fantastic. Noah Galvin, who we've loved for a long time. I think he's yes. on Drag Race. Ben Platt, Amy Sedaris. It's a busload of spunky little theater kids singing their hearts out. The plot is an eccentric staff of, of a rundown theater camp in the Adirondacks must band together with the, um, with the founders, with the founders broy sort of son, and they have to keep the camp afloat. And it sort of all builds up to this wonderful half hour um, finale number uh, numbers of these kids just I mean, tap dancing and singing and acting their little hearts out. And it, they are so good. The kids are absolutely amazing. I don't know that I can absolutely recommend it. I got a little, it's a little, it's a little strange. Blake, you saw it and you hated it. Oh, hated. I, I would expect nothing less of you because you hate all things. If you like theater camp, if you like, you know, drama kids, then it's fine. If you like singing and dancing, it's fine. Blake hates all of those things. He is just a <laughs> hater, hater, hater. So I get it. But Tom, I think you will enjoy it. Tom, I, I was going to say, it sounds like Blake wouldn't lick the bathwater of this movie, which is going to be the new way to say if you like something or not. Like, was I, it I, like water I, would, lickable? I would get my straw. <laughs> spit it out um it, the way you it, described it made me a little a little excited to be honest with you yeah no, I, I, I do think that it has its moments that are absolute brilliance you know amy sedaris is absolutely hysterical in everything she does ben platt is so good and like i said it builds towards it starts off with all the kids singing and auditioning and that's it that's wonderful because those kids are just you they just break your hearts and then it ends with this just spectacular uh, series of songs and dances that are just brilliant. I heard uh, tangentially. I heard on the radio today that for the that that the uh, representation of LGBTQ plus characters has increased greatly this year. And yeah. one of the reasons is they're taking streaming projects into consideration for the first time. And they said, but with all of that. Uh, and they they mentioned the movie Bros. They said only one movie, Bros, had a black trans woman in a leading part. Oh, yeah, and that okay. is Miss T. S. Madison. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, but, I mean, who has a new show? T. S. Madison ate that on Wild Presents Plus, and guess who guest stars this week? You, me. Oh my God. Congratulations. Sign up if you're not already subscribed. All right, so that's Theater Camp streaming on Hulu. Number five. Number five. I have been thinking about this because Saltburn. Yes, I went with James last night. I think we drove home in a kind of stunned silence. Like <laughs> we had to literally flee the theater because it was a QA and we were like, no. <laughs> we were just sort of in a state of shock. And I have to say, I, I got home, I drank a uh, House of Love uh, tangerine margarita cocktail. I was, I was like, I need something. Out of the tub? Out of the tub? <laughs> Honey, I would have. Um, 
because it, I don't want to give things away, but to tell you the truth, I was kind of triggered by the movie. Um, in the sense, well, I, I'll that, tell you something because I looked over a number of times, and you were just you 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 weren't slack jawed, you were clenched jaws, and you were hanging on to dear life to the the sides of the the you know the armrests, and you looked like you were about ready to to leave your body, like you were I, you were having an out of body experience. Because it begins the very first shot is the camera pans up over the Bodleian Library, and there's the Radcliffe camera in the center. And he's walking through students to Brazenose College. Now, I went to Oxford. I didn't go to Brazenose. I went to Lincoln, which backs on to Brazenose. But I was like, oh, my God, it's back in the 80s. And I was just, and James was like, which college is that? And I was like, freaking out. Well, now, because you, you, you were triggered because it, I imagine that you were a little bit of the very Keogh character. <laughs> oh, I was just assuming that Fenton was the super sexy one. I was Johnny. <laughs> no, I was Johnny No Mates. Not to give too much away, but uh, and that scene in the dining hall. I mean, that was that was my first dinner. That the first yeah, night, he's, I was he's, like, he's walking it, through the dining hall and he's trying to find a place to sit, and sit, nobody will let him the, sit there. Right, and he ends oh. up sitting with this this just creepy, crazy. I literally got a rash and broke out in hives. <laughs> But the interesting thing about the, the, the this salt burn is, I mean, in a way, this is a genre. You know, we've had Brideshead. We've had, um, oh, well, the one that was, when I was at Oxford, that they made was a movie called Privilege with Hugh Grant in it. It was his first role. So this sort of dreaming spy, we know the tropes. But this one is much more euphoricized. You know, they're doing a lot more drugs, having a lot more sex. Um, and... Yet it's the same old snobbery, you know. It's the same old kind of longing well, for a I dream. Mean, going back to like Morris, you know. I mean, it's sort of yes, Morris. Yes, yes, another yes, Hugh Grant. Sure. Yes, the yeah. sort of longing and the sort of aspirational fever dream of country houses and and dressing in black tie for dinner. And the reason I felt triggered is because I, when I was at school, you know as a little queer boy being beaten up and bullied, like if I could get to Oxford or Cambridge, that would be the ultimate fuck you, you know? So I worked really hard and I'm not here to say I got in under my own merits. I know that I had oodles of privilege, like just literally propelling me in that direction. But when I got there, it was not like, it just was not like, any no, of these it, it, you've, you've just entered into a whole other level of snobbery and and bullying. You know? oh, yeah, it's, uh, right. Yes, it, exactly. It's true, right. it's true. There, there's a one brilliant scene where um, they're throwing a, a birthday party for for the um, uh, Barry oh, character. Oh. And it's, the birthday party is Midsummer's Night. Uh, uh, Midsummer's Night. Uh, what is it? Dream. dream. The category is dream. And it's they say should, should we invite a hundred people or two hundred people? And they're like, well, two hundred people. It invariably turns into three. Well, they invite all these people, and everybody's dressed, and everybody's doing drugs, and everybody. And at one point, they all start singing Happy Birthday to him, and they're saying Happy Birthday, dear. And not one person knows his name. Ah. And there's just complete silence as ah. he just wants the, wants the earth to swallow him up. He's so mortified. Yes. Uh, but, uh, but I, 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 exactly, yes. And yet everybody is in headlong pursuit of this sort of fantasy England that just, and, you know, and, and the funny thing about being Oxford was, you, you know, I saw Hugh Grant waltz off from undergraduate life into this mythical reality. So I guess the portal opens for one or two people. Um, <laughs> the rest of us Barrys have to get on with, with murdering wealthy people. <laughs> Not to give them away. But anyway, so Jacques Saltburn of perpetuating a myth, but I'll probably jack off to it nonetheless. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, oh, let's take a break. How about that? I think that's a good idea. Uh, WAP Presents Plus, you want to subscribe now because Drag Race UK, September 28th, Drag Race Italia, season three, October 13th, Drag Race Germany, Drag Race Philippines, Drag Race Brazil. I mean, my God, it's a drag and Blake race. on 
eat I ate that with T.S. Madison. T.S. Madison ate that. I ate love that. that. All right, Blake, if you got a question. I sure do. And this one is a doozy. Um, what state in the USA do Norwegians use to describe something that's completely crazy or out of control? Like, this party is so blank. Like, yeah. so Iowa or something? Okay, well, okay. We'll have the uh, answer for you right here on the World Report after the break. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report. Fenton here with Tom and James and Blake and a fabulous question, Blake. Yes, I asked, what state in the USA do Norwegians use to describe something that's completely crazy or out of control? Like, this party is so Iowa. It's got to um, be Florida. It's got to be Florida. Oh, the Florida. Tech, maybe I was going to say Rhode Island, but I have a <laughs> feeling you're probably right about Florida or maybe Nevada. I don't know. Well, if we're in the UK, I'd say Saltburn. <laughs> it's Texas. I oh, think because yeah, everything's sense. bigger in Texas. It's crazy, you know. Yeah, one. yeah. You know, the big kind of scan out in the UK is these uh, XL bully dogs. Speaking of big American things, have you heard XL about XL bully, bully dogs? Bully dogs? What are those? XL bullies, they're like more vicious, bigger, meaner versions of pit bulls. They're oh, like wow. mm, XL bullies. Anyway, huh. we're counting down the top 10 things that made us go, wow, we've reached number four, Tom. Number four. 20 controversies this week. 20 people throwing themselves, you know, can't, not here to judge, but I've been reading a lot about the, I want to say Jan Wenner, but it's Jan Wenner, the former publisher of and, and, and originator of Rolling Stone, who said in a New York Times interview, which it's on tape, he misspoke. He also probably spoke his feelings. Uh, and he's he said he he's done a book where he with the exception he did a new Bruce Springsteen interview, but then did a, did old published a book called Masters with Bono and John Lennon old interviews white artists after white male artists after white male artists and the reporter said to him you know why didn't you include women why didn't you include black artists you know Stevie Nicks Stevie Wonder and he on two occasions again this is just one conversation. Um, I, I, uh, I don't want you to. Ex- I don't want you to. Ex- I, I, know, I know. I know. I, I know. I know. Apologize but, for it. No, because you're right. Thank you. But he, he was like, I don't know that women and men, and he said they don't have enough intellectual kind no, of. No, no, no. Uh, he didn't say men. He said black people. He said he said um, women and black people do not have the intellectual capacity to have these conversations to talk about rock. now first of all to talk and mick jagger is a big these are all you know mick jagger's a friend of his bob dylan's a friend of his and it gets off about like it started off with like is journalism journalism or can it be friendly journalism because i guess he, he let john lennon edit his piece that he wrote written years and years ago which quite frankly i believe there are two kinds of journalism there's fluffy journalism whatever but yan is such a pompous ass <laughs> yes, because I read the article. I don't want to. Don't want to. I read, started to read the article, Tom, before anything. You know, I just was reading yep. the article. Yep. And I just got so bored. I was like, "This guy is just like." Sorry. Anyway. No, but yeah, that's exactly it. Guys. That's the takeaway. And you realize that this guy who only wants to talk to his friends, who only wants to talk to his white friends, <laughs> whose friends are white and male and famous, um, um just doesn't seem to care. He said at one point, like, I guess I could have interviewed, to be safe, I could have interviewed one black person and one woman, um, which is honest, but, and the thing that's happened is, it's just, at least there he's exposing himself, right? And this mentality, which exists deep in our society, and it exists in the roots of rock and roll. And so many uh, black groups have come out and said, you know, rock and roll was created by As black. We have this wonderful new documentary about Little Richard that shows that yes. the roots are most definitely in blues. And, yes. And, or, you and know. that he has no clue that's happening. At one point during the taped interview that you listen to in the New York Times, a helicopter goes overhead. And so I can only imagine he's like in the Hamptons and he's like, oh my gosh, it's like Vietnam around here. So, you know, it's just like, diggity, 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 diggity. It's just like, 
just complete. And there was a moment where Gail King was on the news this morning and she said, I, you know, Gail King is on billionaires yachts every other weekend. You know, she's like hobnobbing with the enemy. And she's like, she goes, and she was shocked by it and she didn't let him off the hook. She goes, but she did say, just knowing Jan, it's just like, I can't believe he really believes that. It's like, I think he well, does. Okay. The, the thing is that, that I understand is I, I, to Jan's point, and I'm not giving him, I'm not letting him off the hook or anything like that. But if you're friends with Bob Dylan and John Lennon and Mick Jagger and, you, and you've interviewed them and you want to make a book about your, these legendary, they are legendary men and you have these interviews with them, that's fine. But then to, when you're called out on the fact that these are just white men and you, then to go to the place that he went is- But that's is the pomposity. He's so, he's so afraid of any criticism. He's so afraid of, of looking at his career in context which wasn't what this book was about, clearly. But when asked about it, and when he said the things he said, the reporter was like, "Whoa, I'm going to give you, whoa, I'm going to give you a chance to restate that." And he just sort of dug himself deeper and deeper. Yeah, um, yeah. The thing that happened is that there was an immediately a call, a conference call that he was part of because he's one of the founders and on the board of the Hall of Fame, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. And everyone voted him off except it was two dissenting votes. It was him and Bruce Springsteen's manager. who has been friends with forever. And that sort of speaks to, and opens up the can of worms of like, why did it take, you know, 40 years for Linda Ronstadt to get in because she didn't write yeah. around, you know, there's yeah. always been this kind of, and again, to, if nothing else, I'm not trying to go down Don't on him. Get, who has been, you know, all these people who just, you know, Pat Benatar, they all deserve to be in right. there. And Missy yeah, Elliott, and they're making, and they're making corrections. In. Rolling Stones mm-hmm. run by different people. They make have made corrections. But it speaks to the darkness of racism in our country and how it permeated rock and roll. Let's not forget MTV. MTV it took three years. That, you know, yeah. And yeah. Rock was white and male, you know, quote unquote, supposedly. And it's not. <laughs> right? I mean, no, but yeah. I, I think there's a way to talk about these things and talk about the issues and not just he's a monster because – I just I'm not I'm not on the monster train right now, but I'm, no. I'm not no, supporting but, but, him. But I'm but, not on the apology train either. Or no, I agree. Same hook. thing. But yeah. I'm talking about the issues, and it speaks to this hidden. It, it exposed this this underlying racism and this old school thought well, of and, what and is mis- rock racism and, roll. and misogyny. You know that, yes. that exists in rock and roll. Yeah. Yes. All right. Um, let's move on to number three, James. Number three. Rest in peace, soap star Billy Miller, who passed away this week at the young age of 43. Billy was absolutely adorable. Just a golden retriever of a man. Just blonde hair, blue eyed, dimples, a smile that would melt, you know, a housewife's heart. He was so good. He was in Young and the Restless. He was in As the World Terms, All My Children. And General Hospital. And I watched him on General Hospital. He came in uh, replacing another actor in the role. And that's always hard to do because the audience is dead set against you from the beginning. He played the role of the mafia hitman with a heart of gold, Jason Morgan, who um, was played by another actor. And then the actor left and he took over. And he did such a good job and ended up being so beloved on the show and doing such a great job with the character that the other actor decided he wanted his role back. And so they brought him back. And so they decided to make Billy the, um, the twin, a twin, the twin brother who had amnesia and they, somebody had implanted a microchip in his brain with his brother's memories. So he thought he was his brother. And so you had these two characters running around thinking they were the same person and that didn't go over well with the audience. It was a a, a bit too nutty, even for general hospital and the writer sort of lost interest in the character and he sort of faded away. And it was a big shame because Billy Miller was absolutely spectacular in the role. And then his mother, since, um, since then he'd apparently been dealing with manic depression and bipolar disease and his mother um came out with a statement saying he fought long and hard um with his bipolar depression for years he did everything he could to control it uh he loves his families his friends and his fans but in the end the disease won and he surrendered his life and it's just very sad because he was i mean like i said just a beautiful beautiful man and such a great actor and he will be missed so rest in peace billy miller 
You know, um, if you or someone you know is struggling with their mental health, you can call or text 988 and the Lifeline provides 24-hour confidential support to anyone in suicidal crisis or emotional distress. So you can call or text 988 and connect with a trained crisis counselor. Yeah. Number two. Number two. Bobut. And I'm not on the monster train, but... This is a good one. (laughs) The time has come to you to lip sync for your lies, Lauren (laughs) Bobert. She's in the she's in the hypocrite lane. That's a different thing. Oh my god, she is speeding in the hypocrite lane. (laughs) (laughs) She uh, representative for a Republican representative for Colorado, the third district. Uh, Infamous for many things, but uh, you know, take your children to church, not drag shows. Well, so she goes to see Beetlejuice, the theatrical version production of Beetlejuice. And first she starts taking photographs, taking selfies with a flash. She is asked not to, and she continues to. Then she's singing along. And again, people in the audience complain. She turns around and calls them sad people. Then she starts vaping and later tries to argue that it was a fog machine. <laughs> like well, she's vaping she... in the face of a pregnant woman who says, please don't do that. And she's yes. like, sorry, no, I'm not going to stop. Then her date starts groping her boob in the most, just groping her boob. And then she starts groping his dick. And finally, on camera, we see this on camera. Yes, there's no ambiguity. It's all on tape. And then she's asked to leave, and they insist that she leaves. And it's just like, don't you know who I am? She gives the finger to the ushers in the theater. She's baring her teeth. Then, after telling a whole heap of lies about what happened, she then blames the fact that she's getting divorced and asks for privacy. And then it comes out that the person she was with, she's dating and very possibly was dating while, contrary to what she says, she was still married. And then it turns out that her date owns a bar that puts on drag shows. It's <laughs> the best part of the story. It's the only salvation <laughs> And then she dumps him saying that in future she's going to Google her dates and check them out, that political affiliations. Because yeah, he was a Democrat who owned this bar. And that was the problem of the evening. Was that, she was, that, was, the big, that was the big takeaway for her. I, I just lie on top of lie on top of lie. Hypocrisy, brazenly sexualized behavior. The very and thing that she Family values, Republican. Right. I am speechless. I, I it's like, I, I, I can't. I just can't. Such an embarrassment. Such I an embarrassment. Words. And, and I guess, you know, it's not that she's a monster. She's just a fool and a bigot and a just, uh, yeah. yeah a horrible and, you know, she, she won her district by less than 500 votes, which means and she acts like she has this mandate to just steamroll over everybody in the country because yeah. she's so, you know, she's a winner and she's, you know, she just drives me bananas, just bananas. I, I didn't want to give her any publicity or that whole, you know, you know, turd right thing, but it was just so flabbergasted. It was like you couldn't make it up. No, and and the video is hard not to watch and rewatch and rewatch because you're like, did she really put her? Yes, she did. Yes, she did. She went there. And I mean, who among us has not groped a date in a theater at one point or another? Not not like that. By the way, he looks like boobs are new to him. He was just like like dialing them. Like it was just a weird. I don't know. It's weird. It feels like this is a good moment to take a break and to say. But drag performers in the LGBTQ plus community are facing threats across the country. And that's why World of Wonder, RuPaul's Drag Race and MTV are proud to donate to the Drag Defense Fund to support the ACLU's work to fight for the protection of our rights and to fight these bigots. My gosh. Uh, You can learn more and donate at aclu.org slash drag defense. 
We'll take one more break, right? And then when we come back, the number one thing this week that made us go, wow. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go, wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with Tom and James and Blake. We've been counting down the top 10 things of the week that made us go, wow. And we've reached number one. Number one. Earlier uh, in this show, uh, Fenton, you mentioned American icons like John Waters, Barbie, and and Taylor Swift. Well, I'll add one to that, and that is Vanna White. And I am excited to report and yell from the rooftops that she has signed a two-year contract, two more years, for A Wheel of Fortune. So she'll be on Pat Sajak's last season, 41, which is just starting. And then she'll be on on uh, uh, um, the first season with Ryan Seacrest. And she got a raise. Poor girl has been working for 20 years on $3 million a year. Now, granted, it's sad. It's tragic. How does she I, do it? How does she do it? And she wears a different gown every time we see her. You know, you know that isn't, it's not free. But after taxes, that's not a lot of money. Although I did learn when she was on Drag Race that she, I think they film um, on Wheel of Fortune like a, a month of shows in two days. Yeah, so that's you know, the gig they, we they need to, to get day, you yeah. guys. Well, they do that game. with, with you know, um, uh, Family Feud and Judge Judy and... Oh, yeah, yeah. and um, But there are uh, people who need more in this world than Vanna White, but it's still somehow satisfying that Vanna, who's been doing well, her job. Especially because Pat Sajak made substantially more than yes. she did. And yes. she said she wouldn't come back unless she was able to match Pat's, you know, salary because it just wasn't fair. And she deserves it more than he does. You know, I'll tell you, you talk because she's in heels, uh, you know, turning those letters and those letters are, are you know, they don't turn anymore. They just yeah. light up. They might but even you, add a new you letter. You still have to stretch. You still have to do your stretching exercises. Yes. Pat's in daughter is still going to stay on as the social media girl on, on like fan Fridays or something, but whatever. Well, I mean, no one would have probably batted an eye if he, if Pat Sajak gained a hundred pounds, mm, but yeah. You know, she had to keep her figure that whole time. That's not for nothing. Can I just add, Vanna is also an author. She is the author of Afghans All Through the House. (laughs) And Vanna Speaks, I think, is one of her things as well. I have a a book here that I was going to pull out, but I can't find it right But she, once again... Saluting the singular talents. Somebody who's done the same thing for 40 years and done it well yes. and become an American icon. There you go. She has thank one you. job and she's done it brilliantly all these years. Yes. Tom, thank you. Thank you, James. Thank you, Blake. And thank you all for listening. Same time, same place next week. And so then go out and do something that makes the world go wow.